All right. Hi, everybody. So I am Lisa Green. I am the Interfaith Fellow. I am a senior. It's my first time saying that. And this is Lafayette's Interfaith Podcast, Colton Corner. And I'm so excited for the first episode, the first interview of the year with the fabulous Jessica Hess, um, our fabulous new chaplain intern. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so honored to be your first guest of your senior year. Woo woo! Yay! That's pretty wild. And uh, Jessica, I would love to, before we fully dive in, I would love to just hear a little bit about you, how you ended up in the position of chaplain intern, and a little bit about how how your first week's going. Well, great. I... Uh... Wow, that's a, that's a lot in that question, but I can tell you a little bit about myself, of course. Amazing. My name is Jessica, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am uh, a new grandma, which is really shocking. shocking I know. <laughs> I grew up here in Pennsylvania, uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and I just love being a Pennsylvanian. I've tried other places. They don't fit quite as well for me. Oh, we'll dive in. Right? To uh, other places. So <laughs> I grew up in a very small town, one traffic light town, as we like to say. And wow. uh, I graduated uh, from Kutztown University mm-hmm. State School. And uh, this is really the first time in my life that I've come into my own as a career. I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. Wow. And I really felt a call to uh, ministry, specifically mm-hmm. chaplaincy. Uh, for the last eight years, I served as a religious educator for children and youth. Wow. And so now I'm moving into uh, something that really feels dear to my heart. And so I work part-time as a per diem chaplain mm-hmm. at Grandview Health in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, for both their hospital and hospice system. And uh, how did I get here? Well, mm-hmm. it was a really interesting uh, roundabout way. I'm still taking chaplaincy courses mm-hmm. to become a certified chaplain. And I needed to find my own clinical placement. The hospital wasn't able to give me the number of hours needed, so I reached out to Alex, and um, she made it happen. And I'm so thrilled um, to be partnering uh, with her this year and learning from her. I'm very excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm so excited to dive into how you felt the call to be a chaplain and all those steps. And yeah, so grateful to Alex for everything. And in this moment, you know, for bringing, bringing you to us. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, now I'm just excited. We'll go all the way back and then we'll do a little for full circle moment. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Amazing. So for anybody who doesn't know, could you tell us what your faith tradition is? Sure. So I grew up... Um, uh, in the United Church of Christ, and in our town, there was really just one or two churches. And um, in the 1800s, 1900s, it was really popular to have what's called a union church in the Pennsylvania area, which is uh, usually Lutheran and United Church of Christ. So they would share one building uh, to make it easier for them to have a, a space. So that's the tradition I grew up in. Um, I stepped away from religion in college. It was not something that I really was um, pursuing or it wasn't really a part of my day-to-day life. But I found that once I had children, mm-hmm. I really felt that need for them. And it was good for our family, too, to find somewhere to go. And it was actually um, Unitarian Universalism that spoke mm-hmm. to me. Uh, so that is uh, the faith tradition that I am a part of now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just been a wonderful foundation in my day-to-day life. 
That's beautiful. And I'm really interested in the evolution and how those two churches have differed for you and your experience there. So I'd love to kind of start by talking about your early experiences. Um, What was the town in Pennsylvania, the one one stop down like yeah i mean it's kind of uh, a joke it's called blandon so uh it's so bland. <laughs> not a lot comes out of blandon um but me of course so yeah. um it was a beautiful place to grow up we knew all of our neighbors and we took care of each other which is wow. the kind of community that i thought the rest of the world was i didn't know that oh. that's not how the world necessarily operated mm-hmm. um so you know, going to church was just something that my dad promised his mother that he would send us to church. Mm-hmm. And my parents, neither one of them were very religious mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up. So it just was something that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Sunday school, went through confirmation as a teen and all of that. But it wasn't mm-hmm. something that I lived, if that makes sense. That's really interesting. Did it kind of feel more like going through the motions kind yes. of thing? Yes. Yeah. And it didn't feel like it fit um, because there was a lot of, um, I don't I don't want to use, I'm not sure what word I want to use, but mm-hmm. my sister and I never felt part of that community because we were sent by ourselves. Our parents didn't come with us. Really? Yeah, we actually lived, um, we'd go out our back door and go across their parking lot and we were at the church. Oh, wow. So we didn't have to have an adult with us. It was, you know, the <laughs> 70s and 80s. You didn't need an adult for anything. <laughs> wow. um, so we were kind of, you know, frowned upon in that community because oh. we didn't have adults. Oh, wow. That must have been so hard. It was. It was hard. But it was also, um, looking back, it was a way for me to sort of come into my own ministry as an adult um, because I could look to other adults in that community that didn't treat us that way. Um, Mm. I remember my good friend's mom was always the Sunday school teacher, and I was so... um, moved by her service in that way so initially when I got to be an adult I was like well I could be a Sunday school teacher wow like her yeah because somebody else did it and I knew that that was something that was an option for me as a mom wow that's so cool what about her classes really stuck out to you she just was always so kind and patient uh, my parents are not the most patient people. Mm. <laughs> it's just, I think it's uh, genetic, but <laughs> I think um, she just was so kind and it just made a difference for me to Absolutely. know that I had other adults in my community mm-hmm. that I could go to that felt safe. Yeah. That's a really important thing, I think, for kids. That's beautiful. Yeah. Did you ever kind of tell your parents about maybe that it was hard they didn't come with you? I don't think I told them that it was hard. I think there were so many hard things growing up as a child of divorced parents. And in hindsight, I think I could recognize a lot of those hardships. Now being an adult parent myself, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine all the difficulties that they encountered. Mm -hmm. Um, So me being sort of disappointed in not having an adult (laughs) for all of these things, Mm -hmm. you know, because they had to work, I think wasn't helpful you know it wouldn't have been helpful to express that I think to them yeah oh, that's tough though I yeah. that's really wonderful that you could find support in this other adult though yeah and were you friends with um with that friend for a long time 
I was for a really long time. We kind of lost touch after college. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes your friends are there for a period of time. A reason, a season, or a lifetime. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I love that expression. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Did you ever have any kind of inkling growing up of maybe this could be important to me? Yeah. I think it was, um, you know, my grandparents, very specifically my, my grandmother's, um, my dad's mother was the one who asked for the promise of sending us to church. And during the pandemic, I had an opportunity to thank my dad for the fulfillment of that promise. Um, it really came full circle during the pandemic for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my Nana, who was my mother's mother, yeah. she's actually the one who sort of pushed me to take my children oh, to wow. a church when I was an adult parent. She just felt like it was something that they needed that sort of grounding and foundation and the community yes like it's such a big thing yeah yeah were there any moments growing up maybe like a holiday or a specific family tradition that kind of brought your family into the fold that that were special for you yeah, holidays were tough, I have to be honest. Lisa. Yeah. I, you know, with um, my parents divorced when I was eight, my sister mm-hmm. was five, and I just remember the holidays being hard. Yeah. Because yeah. there's double everything. Right. And that must have been so tough going from household to household. Yeah. 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 So that was always hard. So. I, I didn't, I wasn't a fan of the holidays mm-hmm. because it was so it was so much sort of obligation to go here, go there do this, do that. I mean, I have great memories of different holidays and activities. Like once we got family together, it was mm. great. Right. But especially when I was an adult and had my own children, to have yeah. to take them to all these different places was a lot. Of course. And it just feels more kind of in the same vein as, you know, just going to church to fulfill a promise. It doesn't feel like it's your decision. It feels right. like you're just trying to make other people happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And tough. now as an adult, there's often uh, conversations and no matter what your faith tradition is, there's often mm-hmm. conversations about, you know, the high holy days or yeah. the, um, you know, Christmas and Easter sure. attenders, those kinds of folks. And I don't want to be that kind of churchgoer. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Sure. It just didn't, it doesn't feel fulfilling enough to me to just mm-hmm. show up every once in a while. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, the regular commitment adds such a deep layer. Did you, so really growing up, you go to church with your sister. Did anything change as you kind of got older, got to be a teenager in high school? Did you keep going or that kind of? No, I mean, uh, ironically, it's, uh, you know, once you're done with the confirmation portion, once you're that teenager and you move into a different phase, it really trickled off for me because I wasn't required to attend. Right. Um, So I would say probably eighth grade, I just stopped going. Yeah, well, probably because it never felt like it was for you. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, you know, obligation can't be the major motivator, I feel like. Right, right. But, you know, a fun thing about my growing up was that because we lived so close, Mm-hmm. During my teenage years, especially when I needed solace and places mm-hmm. of comfort, I would walk in the cemetery. Oh, because our cemetery was closed to cars, so mm-hmm. it was a safe walking path. Wow. So even now, in my mind's eye, I can recreate mm-hmm. like the paths and the headstones that I really love to visit. And wow. 
that's a really wonderful uh, memory of a place that I found comfort was in the cemetery. That's so interesting. How did you discover that that was a place of comfort? I just remember having an argument, I think, with my dad once. I was really (laughs) frustrated and ticked off with him. And I just thought, I'm going to go for a walk. And he's like, fine. So, (laughs) you know, we lived in a small town. How far could I walk, really? Um, So I would walk across to the cemetery, and I found myself going there more and more. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, And you would look at the names and feel this sense of connection. Yeah, I mean, even now, the cemetery here down at the bottom of the hill is just a wonderful cemetery to walk. I don't know if any of your listeners have been there, but (laughs) it's a really awesome cemetery. There's lots of really fascinating uh, headstones and grave markers there, too. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I I don't think I've heard that before. Hmm. What about... or? I'm trying to think which question I want to ask first. Um, what about cemeteries do you think specifically is is comforting? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think yesterday I showed you a picture of my, um, my sister and I at my grandfather's grave. Oh, yeah. And uh, my Nana would always take us. We'd have to visit. <laughs> We'd have to get a photo. Oh. Like it was a strange sort of practice it was like a spiritual practice (laughs) with my nana so it's something that I grew up with Mm. where cemeteries were a nice place to go with your family to honor other people in your family so I often think about uh, when I'm at the cemetery who these people were in the world Mm. and who their family were wow who comes to visit them if anybody does Mm. um there's a couple of people on tiktok I don't know if you've seen them that actually go and clean headstones for folks that's beautiful and it's really wonderful it's a great way to honor people even if we don't even know them right well because everyone has a story and a legacy yeah and i'm sure there are people who really don't have visitors anymore who've kind of just slipped by yeah or their people might have all passed away or moved away or You know, it's hard, the history of a cemetery. It's a fascinating thing to me. That is so fascinating. And and you were saying yesterday that you, you would take selfies now by your grandma's grave. Yeah. 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 That's so special. And that's such a beautiful way of taking something that I feel like for a lot of people is really macabre and hard and tragic and turning it into something meaningful and honoring. You yeah. Know? That's really cool. Yeah. And for me, it's always been a safe place to go. Mm. So even if it's just to contemplate, um, and I don't know anyone in that cemetery, it feels like a safe place feels to familiar. be for me. Yeah. So remind you of your of your nan? Um, no, not always. No, I mean, okay. it's I'm only when I'm at her cemetery. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. Um, wow, that's really cool. So. So just in the timeline, um, the the cemetery comfort is discovered. Yes. And which that's so just unique and cool. I really I love knowing that about you. And and at the same time, kind of going to church is becoming less frequent. And then you went to Kutztown. What did you study? I have a degree in art. Amazing. Uh, yeah, in crafts. Uh, so things like pottery, woodworking, although I didn't do any of that, and uh, fibers. That's really cool. Yeah, how did you realize that you were into crafts? Well, I grew up um, 
going to our family's ceramic shop. So in the 60s and 70s, it was a really popular thing, and it's growing in resurgence now Mm -hmm. uh, where people have molded uh, ceramics where you fire them and paint them, uh, you know, like little gnomes, fun things like that. So we've been doing those uh, for years in my family. So crafting was sort of, my mom is so talented, my mom can paint like nobody's business. Um, she does great eyeballs, and you know she would do a lot of really fun crafts. So, That's so cool. it's just something that I always did growing up. Um, mm. I think it's a a gift to yeah. be able to use that part of your brain and your heart and make art. Um, it's beautiful. I thought I'd be an art teacher, oh, but it just wasn't cool. meant for me. Yeah. It didn't feel right. So you went into college thinking, I'll probably be an art teacher. and then... Yeah, that's what I, I signed up to do. And wow. then I changed my majors uh, in my sophomore year. Oh, what was it originally? The, I was going to be an art educator and oh, gosh, yeah, an art teacher. You. And then I changed over when I found jewelry making and the yeah. pottery studio. It just really spoke to my heart. It made me feel really good. It gave you that connection. And yeah. coming back to that theme of comfort and safety. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And did you have, like, an art community? Um, I mean, that's where I met some of my lifelong friends. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, I feel like that's so important, and that really helps you stick with anything. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So then um, when you graduated, um, what was that immediate post-graduation period like? It was so uh, strange because I think... It took me a while to complete my undergrad because I had to work and pay for mm-hmm. school. And um, somewhere along the way, a friend had introduced me to uh, my husband, mm-hmm. uh, my ex-husband. And um, so it was a whirlwind right after graduation. We uh, set up house and <laughs> had wow. his two kids that I adopted later on. Wow. We got married. Um, so there wasn't a lot of time to explore art and not to say that I wanted to actually, I was so excited to be a a mom mom and a wife and have that family. Wow. That's so interesting to do. So in the same way that maybe art was solved, your, your spiritual development kind of was as well. Yeah, I think so. I, again, I didn't really pursue, um, any sort of religious community until mm. my daughter was born in 2001. Oh, that's when I was born. Oh, there you go. <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So your daughter's born, and what what made you think, I think it's time to circle back? Well, again, it was my Nana who was, you know, squawking in my ear every visit. <laughs> you know, These children need church. So. These kids need to know Jesus. How, <laughs> so those kinds of things, um, you know, were fun to hear from her. But I also had my own internal struggles, knowing that many churches at the time were not welcoming of LD. LGBTQIA folks. They weren't welcoming of people of color. Yeah. Um, and that was important to me um, right. because I wanted to raise my children to be change makers in the world, to be kind, inclusive, and inclusive. Yeah. And I just wasn't sure how I was going to find that spot. Right. Wow. Did that? Did it feel very exclusive and intolerant at the church you grew up in? 
Um, no, I think they grew out of that. Oh. When I was a kid, it felt that way, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I think by the time I grew up and I had moved away, like an hour away, it wasn't like a church that I could go back to readily. Right. Uh, so it just was different. Wow. And uh, so ironically, it was the midwife who delivered my daughter who suggested Unitarian Universalism. <sighs> And she said, I'll bring my family, you bring your family, it'll be great. And so I always like to joke that uh, she never showed up and I never left. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's wild. Yeah. How old were your boys when your daughter was born? Uh, They were uh, seven and eight, I think. Oh, wow. It it was a handful. I bet. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. Wow, that's wild. So... What about the um the I'm struggling with the name the universal Unitarian Universal Unitarian Universal yes. Yeah, yes. what about Unitarian Universalism really spoke to you when you went that first time? Yeah, so when I went the first time it was actually over Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. And so there was a conversation about um the Independence Day and how um difficult that can be for a lot of folks and what that actually means and there was a conversation about colonialism and I thought wow "Wow, this is a really progressive conversation that I didn't expect to find at church yeah yeah so um I knew you were going to ask me about Unitarian Universalism so Mm -hmm. I I screenshotted this so that I could uh, speak to it as wholly as possible amazing um so this is from the website, which is uh, uua.org, just in case anybody wanted more information. It says, in Unitarian Universalism, you can bring your whole self, your full identity, your questioning mind, and your expansive heart. Together, we create a force more powerful than one person or one belief system. As Unitarian Universalists, we do not have to check our personal background and beliefs at the door. We join together on a journey that honors everywhere we've been before. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. That, yeah. That sounds like everything you wanted. You know? Yeah. So yeah. within that community, you can identify as Christian. You can identify as Jewish. Mm. You can identify as agnostic if you want wow. to. So yeah. that there is still community within that vessel. Wow. So what are the services like? Yeah, the services can be really different. Um, there are few elements, I think, that hold it together, but it can be different depending on who the minister is or what the particular Sunday is. Does it change like based on the week, like in your particular church? Um, yeah, I mean, we follow a few things and we follow a lot of different calendars. So you'll find that things like Rosh Hashanah are celebrated. Mm-hmm. You'll find things like... Um, our own our own sort of holidays that we've made like uh, flower communion oh what's that um, it's a really specialized sort of thing that I don't know that I can fully explain mm-hmm. but it's a great way to honor mm-hmm. each other often what you do is you bring a flower to the service and then you go home with a different one oh so we're each unique in our own individuals <laughs> yeah there's a long history to that I won't go into that but that's really cool yeah Wow. So so you've been in that space for 22 years. Yeah, almost. 20, wow. Almost 21. Oh, it took us a little while to get there. Oh, uh, my gosh, daughter was yeah. probably a little over a year old when we finally got oh. there. And uh, yeah, I'm still, 
I'm still discerning and still thinking and working through things. I think going into chaplaincy and specifically interfaith, interspiritual chaplaincy, which is where I'm at, I don't want to ever put my religion onto anyone else. I don't ever want to excuse anyone else's faith or lack thereof. Mm. Um, I really feel it's important to have your own journey. Absolutely. And what has your journey looked like within the last 20 years? Like how, how, what have been struggles that have come up? What have been conversations you've had that have really changed your heart and mind? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that have been, I've sort of had a, an ongoing ticking clock. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, this clock of like wanting to have children yeah. There's sure. also, I think, a clock about wanting to have a career. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I have never had to have a career and a family simultaneously. And yeah. shout out to those folks who do that because mm-hmm. I don't know that I could. Yeah. I think it's an amazing feat to be mm-hmm. able to handle both right. and do both well. Um, so for me, it's been an ongoing ticking clock of my kids are growing, my kids are growing, my kids are growing. What is there for me when they become their own people? What's next? What's next for me? So that's where I sort of stepped into that role of, you know, the Sunday morning teacher with the kids and then thought I really can be a a director of religious education, which is what they call it in our faith community. And Mm -hmm. from that grew this feeling from deep inside my soul that said, there is more for you to do. And so it really has been a call to chaplaincy. And I don't feel like there's any wavering of that for me. Wow, that's so inspirational. When you started teaching at Sunday School, What was that learning curve like? Well, I think my daughter would probably tell the story vastly different than I do (laughs) because I always sort of signed up for whatever her class was. Oh, which was great um, to be able to, you know, watch all their little minds grow. But I think um, my favorite story to tell was a bunch of maybe six year olds, and we were talking about what makes a flower grow, Mm. and all of the standard answers, right? You have water, you have sunshine, you need um, to talk to it, like things that you expect to hear. And one kid finally, after a long pause said, you know, Miss Jess, sometimes flowers just need time. And I just have carried that with me for years. It always grounds me to hear it in my mind because I too need time. Right? We each need time to get to what's next. Sometimes it takes time. And sometimes there's this pressure to always feel like you need to know. Right. Which is unfair to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, like like you really, you needed to go through every step of your journey to get to your calling. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I feel like I couldn't have been in this spot without all of those experiences leading up to this this place. Wow. So then how many years did you teach in religious school before realizing you wanted to pursue chaplaincy? That's a great question. I don't really know. I don't really know. I think as a religious educator, 
I started in, I think, 2015. Oh, wow. And pretty early on, I thought I was just going to go to seminary. Uh, and then I realized I have no interest in congregational <laughs> ministry. Yeah. Uh, it just wasn't quite for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were just a few things along the way that made me think about chaplaincy. I had some friends and colleagues uh, that were going into that line of work. Mm-hmm. And it really is um, sort of like the best blessing. It's really been a wonderful way to sort of be in service to folks wow and connect on a one-on-one level yeah yeah that's beautiful what was your first glimpse into chaplaincy what was your first job sure so in um you know in the beginning of the pandemic i was working as a religious educator Mm -hmm. and the cpe or clinical pastoral education class that i was going to be taking was not available everything shut down the world shut down right right And so I had to delay. I had to have time till I could come to it. And so finally in uh, the fall of 21 is when I first took a course, a CPE unit, which is what I'm doing here at Lafayette. Mm -hmm. And uh, my clinical was with a long-term care facility for senior adults. Wow. And I love senior adults. Mm -hmm. They're like my favorite people on the planet. The best. (laughs) They're the best. (laughs) I love them. And so... Getting to sit with people and hear their stories is such an honor. It's such an honor to be present and witness to that. Wow. Were there any moments that really stood out to you from that that really moved you? Like any particular people? Yeah. Um, there's there's one person in particular who uh, she and I would sit and color together. She loved to color. And so... Uh, we would joke when it was time for me to go uh, at the end of my two units there. She said, I think we're going to have to tell all the chaplain interns that coloring is required. I, said, I think so. I think so. And so uh, she was my favorite. And uh, I hate to say that because we're not supposed to have favorites. Everybody does. Everybody okay. does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but it was really moving to be able to um, share an activity that's now become like a spiritual practice for me to sit in color. It's so cathartic to just color and don't worry about the lines and just kind of be in your own mind and heart for a little bit. Do you do a coloring book or just like free coloring? Yeah, there's a great coloring book that, um, one of my, um, ministerial colleagues at the, um, Unitarian Universalist, they actually published one. And so, um, Unitarian Universalism uh, runs uh, Beacon Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long-standing um, publisher. I think I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So they, I think they published through them. And wow. Yeah. Good stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, we always give out a coloring book in our spirituality gift bags. Yeah. So I I love a good color. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's so healing and comforting. I think so. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, that's such a valuable experience, you know, to work with older people because I, I just know you must have met so much to them and really made their days. That's really it, special. It was nice to be able to connect with folks. Yeah. And some absolutely. some people in those communities rarely get a visit. And yeah. so it's a really needed thing. It's a really needed occupation to be able to serve that that type of community. 
Right. You know, they deserve attention and love. And it really goes back to the graveside. And so many of those, you know, are are left unattended and their people aren't there anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's a a special connector. Yeah. So then the next... Um, the next unit of CPE, what was your next job? So I did two units there with them and I felt like I needed a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Um, I, I had applied and got the per diem position at the hospice Mm -hmm. and then at the hospital. Um, but I wasn't able to get enough hours there to fulfill what's required. So, um, that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Yeah. That's so so cool. I swung the pendulum all the way to the other end. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> people. Hospice to college. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it like, though, working in hospice in the hospital? That must have been so different. I mean, definitely from here, but also from the senior center. Yeah, it's um, it's very different. Uh, things are rather emergent at the hospital from time to time. Not all the time, but from time to time. And... Uh, hospice is not emergent in a very different way right it's kind of you know what the end is right it literally is the end of a person's life hospice care so um to sit and just be a support to them is a really great way to be and people in chaplaincy will often ask well where where do you feel called to to go with your chaplaincy and Mm -hmm. I get the distinct honor and privilege I know it's a privilege to be here to be at hospice to be at the hospital to be at a long-term care facility it's all a privilege Mm -hmm. and so I'm not sure where the the vocation and the service will take me but I'm excited for the journey yeah and the time it takes to bloom into the chaplain that I know I can be I love that. It's a little corny. <laughs> no, no, I I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you, you still need the time to figure it out, which yeah. is amazing because it shows that you care and you're not just, you know, going through the motions. Right, right. That's really special. And in terms of being with someone at the end of their life, that must have been so challenging. I mean, you know, that's that's what my mom does, and I, I've never understood. I Yeah. Yeah, how has that felt? I think, for me, I will just use an I statement because I sure. don't know how it feels for other chaplains, but for me, it feels like holding space mm-hmm. when family can't. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really hard when it's your person right. to be in the room. It's too um, personal. It's too personal. So... Um, the, to have a good death, as my ministerial colleague says, is really important. I think everyone deserves that. And so whatever they need in that moment mm-hmm. is what the chaplain is there to provide. Right. What do you think goes into a good death? Well, it's a lot of things. I think it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm always a little surprised because you get to know folks along the way. And you think you might have an idea of what they might need, mm-hmm. but in reality, you don't always know. It's so catered to that specific yeah, person. Yeah, it really is for each person. Yeah. Were there any specific instances or experiences that really stuck out to you, you know, working in hospice or the hospital? 
Well, I haven't had a whole lot of experience. It's only been about six months, so I really okay. haven't had a lot of time in those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure there will be lots of things that will <laughs> oh, stick I know out, it. I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. That's really amazing that you're still doing those and you're doing this. I don't think I fully made that connection before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like next week, for example, I have a a few days that I have to go work at a hospice. So one of the chaplains can go on vacation because, you know, self-care time is really important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So other than that really beautiful trajectory and coming into your own career wise as a chaplain, were there any other ways your spirituality and faith changed during COVID? Oh, yeah. (laughs) COVID was really hard for so many people. And it was, I'm not going to say it wasn't hard for me. It was absolutely difficult to not see my kids, to not, you know, to have to sit outside and lawn chairs was not fun. Uh, But my husband and I got married during COVID and um, we got to spend a lot of really precious time together. It's amazing. It is amazing. And what a gift, right? And that wouldn't have happened had COVID not happened. Mm -hmm. I know how horrible COVID was for so many people. Right. Um, But for me, there were very uh, distinct silver linings. And blessings. And blessings in that time. Yeah. Do you think being with your husband has changed your outlook on, on God, on spirituality, on faith? Yeah, definitely. Um, he grew up Jewish and uh, reformed J- Judaism and uh, is non-practicing. He always uh, kind of jokes he's out of practice. <laughs> oh, that's um, a good one. His uh, his father just passed away this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. This June, and um, it was tough, and it is mm-hmm. continues to be tough. He's, you know, supporting his mom, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to be as much of a support as possible. But again, yeah. it's that feeling of being a little too close. Right. Um, but yeah, it's changed my outlook on what it means to be. And I don't know. He he says things that always surprise me because yeah. I I label him as agnostic, but I don't know that that's true. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to like presume someone's faith, right? Um, but he and I talk about it sometimes, and he doesn't believe what I believe, and it's really okay. How do you differ there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways that we differ, and I think that's the beauty of interfaith ministry Mm -hmm. is that it's all okay. Right. Right? It's all beautiful. It's all just whatever speaks to your heart and your soul because, boy, life is short. Right. My Nana said that to her dying day. She was almost Mm -hmm. 91 when she died, and she kept saying, life is so short. And I thought it was the weirdest thing for a (laughs) 90-year-old person to say, right? Life is short. It really is. So to argue about faith or what I believe and what you believe, not worth it. Yeah, not worth it. It's all beautiful, in my opinion. Yeah. Do Do you think, would you call yourself an interfaith couple? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I I think any couple that isn't in the exact same denomination or faith tradition. Right. (laughs) And even even within that, right? Like, even if my husband identified as Unitarian Universalist, I know that we're very different. Sure. So it's an interesting thing. Has he ever come to church with you? He has, and he really likes the community aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But he... uh, 
he doesn't like to sit still for that period of time. Oh, that's so fair. Yeah. yeah. He was thrilled that's when so I told funny. him he could bring his sketch pad and pen with him to service. <laughs> he said, they're not going to yell that's at me. Amazing. I said, no one's going to yell at you. It's Nobody really else cool. here. Yeah. Wow. Well, so what have you learned from being in an interfaith couple? Okay. I've learned, I think, that things sometimes, the things that you think are the big things are not at all the big things. Wow. Like what? So I think sometimes when you get married or you're in a relationship and you think, well, this has to be the thing that we agree on. And it doesn't have to be always. Because, again, life is short. And the things that when I was young and in my first marriage that I thought were really, really important. Like on the checklist. Yes. Like, oh, we have to have. It's really not. Like we have to have God in common and beliefs, things like that. I don't know. I mean, it's not for me to say, right? I know for me where I am. <laughs> well, I mean, like, what used to be on the checklist that's not now. Yeah. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. I think, I think it changes as you learn and grow in your right. own faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, part of, One of the sort of tenets of our religion is uh, a free and res- responsible search for truth and meaning. Mm. so it's to each person their own search for truth and meaning it's not for me to say yeah um you know as a chaplain i always say it's none of my damn business (laughs) i love that. what other folks believe in their heart it's theirs it's theirs and theirs alone you're there to support you know whatever that is yeah yeah that's really cool yeah um and then i guess just coming here coming full circle in the present. Yeah. Um, what has it been like stepping into this new role this past week? Well, if anybody's still listening. <laughs> oh, I've is, I've done hour and a half once before. <laughs> this, is the, this is the part where I say that I am uh, very excited to get to know as many people that want to be in conversation. I'm happy to support you, uh, to just be a, a confidential listening ear. And um, that goes for students, staff, faculty. And uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. It really is. I'm excited. I've met so many amazing people already, and it's only been a week or so. Wow. So it's just been awesome, awesome. and I'm really looking forward to what the year has in store. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, what do you think you're hoping to to do in this year ahead here? Yeah, uh, my hope is to have a deeper understanding of... Uh, the diverse culture here at Lafayette, a deeper understanding of this interfaith community that's present here already, and how I can be of service uh, to the folks here. Amazing. Um, And I'll probably put this out very soon. So in case it's before this, um, next Wednesday, Interfaith Council at 12 in the Interfaith Chapel in Hoag Hall. Um, Just a quick plug for that. Excellent. I'll be there. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Um, and really, that pulls us full circle. I've I've really so enjoyed hearing about each phase of your life and how, you know, religion and spirituality came in and out um, and now has a new purpose and a new life within you. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? It's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm geeking out. I, yeah, of course. I think it's the coolest. Um, is there anything else we didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about? I just think it's uh, important that uh, folks find their own path. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just whatever works for them. Yes. 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Lisa. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Oh, absolutely.